one for me. We'll use this until I get one here. Take your Bibles, if you'd be so kind, and turn to the book of Mark. And I just realized, I looked down, I'm not Mike. And so, Mark chapter number three this evening. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, sir. I've enjoyed my study in Mark, and it has been exploring Jesus through the lens of his servanthood. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save and to serve. And since Jesus went to heaven, he didn't quit serving. He's still serving. He ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. And like I said this morning, he offers to us this amazing stream, this, this life stream of his, of eternal life. Mark chapter 3, verse number 7. Seven, but Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. When they had heard what great things he did, they came, came unto him, and spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should, bring, lest, lest they should throng him. Notice verses 10 and 11 especially. For he had healed many, insomuch they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. I'm going to stop there, make a comment, and then pray. I've never really considered what Jesus experienced in these throngs of people. As he looked out and he saw the, the, the hordes of people, sometimes on a hillside. And I'll describe for you this particular hillside. But what did he see? Well, this passage gives us a, a little inclination. And that's why I titled this message, A Nightmare on the Hillside. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your goodness. Thank you for your multitude of blessings. Thank you, Lord, that you have a desire to meet with us. And Lord, I'm convinced that you desire right now to meet here in our service. So we welcome you. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to get rid of any resistant spirits in our hearts. Any places where we are controlling and unwilling to have you take over, soften our hearts right now. And I pray, Lord, that you'll be glorified in and through it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 10 and 11, he had healed many insomuch they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. Unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him. I'm going to let you know that I don't enjoy watching horror movies. Since I saw The Wizard of Oz when I was very, very young, I have written off horror movies. I could not sleep for weeks after seeing that silly thing. It was awful, the nightmares that I had. And ever since that time, when I see an advertisement for it, I shudder. 
Those monkeys, my goodness, awful, awful. So now, of course, around Halloween time, they've got all these advertisements of these different horrible things. Everything is ghoulish during this time. But one thing that's become popular are zombies. Zombies are just a big deal right now. Lots of movies about zombies and books written about zombies. And they're the, the walking dead, if you will. And the old, it used to be that they'd put their arms like this and, you know, like this and, oh, all that kind of stuff. And just awful looking. And now, now with all the makeup they put on them and they just look dreadful. Well, quite frankly, that is the scene that I see on this hillside. An incredible hillside filled with people all pushing in to get to Jesus. Now, it says that Jesus was at the sea. He withdrew himself to the sea, and I believe that he has gone back as far as he can because behind him is water. In front of him is the hillside. He can't go back any farther, and they keep pushing and thronging around him. And as he keeps seeing throngs coming over the top of the hill like this, coming down to see Jesus as every one of them have a need, a desire, something wrong with them. They wanted to be with Jesus, of course, to be healed. And it's a gruesome, ghoulish sight. In this mass of humanity is every kind of illness and disease. Kind of like going to the hospital waiting room right now. You walk in and there's coughing and spewing up things and blowing their noses. It's just awful. You just don't want to be in that kind of place because just all these different diseases. Well, multiply that by a hundredfold and you have what was on this hillside. By the way, not only were there every kind of ghoulish disease, but there are also evil spirits, literal demons here that were manifesting themselves on this hillside. Scattered throughout this unsightly crowd were many suffering from leprosy. Now today, we don't have near the effects of leprosy that they had in these days. But leprosy was pretty much a death warrant in their days. And it was, it was awful, awful, where various body parts would, would just either wither away or be eaten away. and Just, just horrible, gruesome, gruesome things. Uh, from, from that particular disease. It disfigured its victims, much suffering. So here you have this hillside with these ghost-like diseased people, many of them with strips of cloth dangling down from them because they've been in leper colonies. They've been ignored. They're dirty. They're vile. They're smelly. Everybody around them, as soon as they recognize as a leper, they get away real fast. But the throngs keep pushing them closer to closer, so they're shoulder to shoulder with these lepers. It's an awful, awful environment. It's hard to remember, even though it was not that far ago, but do you remember the height of the COVID hysteria? When you'd go to to Walmart or the pharmacy if you dared leave your home for fear of these Nazis flying around and catching you and putting you in some kind of a health prison. And you'd walk in the store and everybody's eyeing you and listening to see if you're going to cough. And if you dare cough, all eyes are you immediately. 
and you're, they've got these steps. All oh, Remember the steps in the store where you had to walk in the, these particular steps and, and you couldn't be over here. You had to be on the right side of the store, on, on the lane, not the left. And, and then you go to the checkout and, and you had, there's markings here. You couldn't be closer than six feet apart at the time. And I remember being at Walmart one time and this lady turned around because some guy was five feet, not six feet behind her. And he let her have it, or she let him have it. She just, uh, come on, glued at him. It was just fearsome, all because of this COVID hysteria that was going on. I think that's the closest thing that you and I, at least I can get in my brain, the likes of which it was like for Jesus on that hillside. But I want you to consider what Jesus did. I told you that Jesus was backed up against the, 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 the water. But that wasn't because Jesus was trying to get away from the people. They were, they were pushing on him, and, and, and they just kept pushing him back and pushing and pushing, trying to get in, and, and he had no place else to go. Now he's against the water trying to help these people. The average person, when a leper walked down the street, he would holler, leper, leper, and they would get on the other side of the street if they came down the street at all. They stayed a long distance away from a leper. But when the leper showed up on the hillside, Jesus went to the leper, not away from. Leprosy was a despised disease, but Jesus saw every leper with great compassion. It's interesting how spiritually God saw us. The Bible likens sin to leprosy. Well, every one of us were dead in our sins. We were spiritually leprous, if you will. And just like Jesus going to the leper on that day, Jesus came to us in our spiritual defilement. And oh, we were ugly. Oh, we were smelly spiritually. We were sickening in our sin, but he came to us. He was not repulsed by us. As such, Jesus, who was the master servant, who came to serve, asks that of us now. Now, now think about it. He was the master servant, and he went to help. He went to the their very people that everybody else ignored, everybody else ran away from. He actually walked to. So I've asked myself, who am I being repulsed by? Who in society is causing me to walk away? Who is it that I quietly make an excuse, I can't talk to you, I'm going to go over here? It's not Jesus. It is the goodness of God that brings people to repentance, Romans 2, 4. Is the goodness of God what people see in you? In verse number 13 in Mark 3, it says, And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. So here's the deal. He was on this mountainside, or at the, at the, he was at the base of this hill, with his back toward the water, the throngs of people healing and healing and healing. And then it says he went up into the mountain, and then he called whom he would. 
Why? Why did Jesus seek to go alone up into the mountain? Was he sick of the crowds? Was he sick of serving? Well, no, that's why he came. But it is interesting that true servants tend to resist public attention. The true servants are not the ones that have to get everybody giving them adulation. They don't have to be the ones in the limelight. The true servants are not the ones telling the jokes. They don't have to be. Jesus had been inundated with public attention and desired filling and refreshment. So he left them and went up to a mountain to pray. Jesus needed filling so he could serve more. As he was there meeting all these needs, his energy was being depleted. We learned that his very vitality left him when that woman with an issue touched the hem of his garment. His very life was leaving him. His energy was leaving. He needed to be refreshed. You know, sometimes it can be draining dealing with people's needs, praying for people, hearing their what's going on as, as, your, as, as your heart uh, becomes burdened down for their burdens. It's, it's exhausting. And if all you do is give out, give out, give out, give out, sooner or later you're going to be depleted and discouraged and consider quitting. Before that happened, Jesus retired to a mountain. In verse number 12 and 13, it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. When it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. <laughs> I chuckle because this is not me. So Jesus has been healing people all day long. He's there with this nightmarish crowd all day long meeting these needs, and now he's depleted. He needs to go get re-energized. Perhaps it's dusk. It's getting dark out. He leaves the crowd. He excuses himself. He goes up in a mountain. What's he do? He stays up all night praying. I'd say, find me the closest bed. Get out of here. I want to get some Z's. I want to, I want to get sleep. And Jesus knew that something far more important to him was not refreshing his physical needs. It was refreshing his spiritual needs. And yet how often do we prioritize our physical over our spiritual? He retired to prayer. Why did he pray? Why did Jesus have to pray? <laughs> He's God. <laughs> he could just say, okay, self, <laughs> I have a need. Self, answer it. Ta-da, it's done. <laughs> Why did he pray? Because Jesus became a servant, and he set aside his powers of deity. Well, he was still all God, but he set aside the usage of his, of his supernatural powers that he might experience the fullness of humanity. And so now he is depleted, just like any human would be. He's depleted. He's depleted physically. He's depleted spiritually. And in order for him to be refreshed, he goes up finds a quiet place, and he prays. So he prayed for what? First of all, I think he prayed for himself. In his humanity, he needed to pray. He needed fellowship with his heavenly Father. He needed strength to carry out his mission. He prayed, oh, Father, fill me. Spirit of God, fill me. All night long, 
Jesus prayed all night. Couldn't Jesus just say, okay, Father, here's my needs. Dun, 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 done. Couldn't Jesus just bring his grocery list of needs? But he prayed all night. Did he have an all-night-long list of needs? <laughs> Can you imagine the thousands and thousands and thousands of needs he could have covered in an all-night prayer? Or was his prayer more than just going over need after need after need after need? Was there also fellowship there? Whereas he prayed, he then listened. As he shared his soul, he opened up his soul for that of his fathers. He prayed for his disciples. Undoubtedly, he prayed for wisdom. Heavenly Father, give me wisdom that I might choose the correct men to whom I will spend the next three years investing my life in them, that they might indeed go out in turn and take the gospel around the world. Give me wisdom to know who I should choose. Then he prayed for men's hearts. He likely prayed for individuals for whom he was burdened. Don't you think that there were certain people that were on Jesus' heart, particular people? As he administered, there were particular individuals that were still on his heart, that he knew they still needed prayer. Though he perhaps had healed them physically, perhaps there were still spiritual issues in their lives they had not given over yet, and he was burdened for them, still praying, interceding on their behalf. I know that's the case with us, with me. There are times where I need him praying for me. There are times where I'm not 100% committed. There are times where you're not 100% committed. There's times we struggle. There's times where we trip and we fall. And we need him praying for us. He may not have been praying just for healing for them. <laughs> he prayed for hearts to get right. His prayer motivation was the spiritual condition of the people for whom he came. I read a little paragraph from Spurgeon. He writes... Jesus went apart to hold high fellowship with the Father. And we must enter into the same divine companionship if we would bless our fellow men. No wonder the apostles were clothed with power when they came down fresh from the mountain where Jesus was. This morning we must endeavor to ascend the Mount of Communion, that there we may be ordained to the life work for which we are set apart. Let us not see the face of man today till we have seen Jesus." Time spent with him is laid out at blessed interest. We too shall cast out devils and work wonders if we go down into the world girded with that divine energy which Christ alone can give. It's of no use going to the Lord's battle till we are armed with heavenly weapons. We must see Jesus. This is essential. At the mercy seat we will linger till he shall manifest himself unto us as he doth not unto the world, and until we can truthfully say we were with him in the holy mount. Have you spent time, one-on-one, -on -one, with God today? Verse 14 and 15, And he, Jesus, ordained twelve, 
that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So here the servant, the master servant, recruited help. He realized he was only going to be here for a short time. And if he left before preparing someone to carry it on, his mission would fail. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to a lost world. He knew the need was great. He knew he would only be on earth a short time. He needed help. If the world were going to hear the gospel, he would have to train men to win men, to train others. Quite frankly, his method was genius. A man training a man to win another man to win another man to win another man. Genius. So what were the disciples' responsibilities from the very beginning? What was their responsibilities? Well, it says he ordained 12, first of all, that they should be with him. Their first responsibility was to be with Jesus. That was it. Disciples of Jesus may stay close to him, must stay close to him. Matthew 16, 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Be close to me. Stay close to me. Follow literally means to accompany or to be in the same way with. Stay close to Jesus, he said. We must learn to let him be the leader. <laughs> we must learn to let him lead us. We must follow his example and give up our life for his, Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Got to follow his example. So what were the responsibilities? Well, first of all, disciples must stay close to Jesus. Secondly, Disciples must stay close enough to recognize his voice. John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 10, 3, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. He calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. You see, the key to knowing his voice is having a close relationship with him. If you don't have a close relationship with Christ, you're not going to be as quick to recognize his voice. Next, disciples of Jesus are recognized by their closeness to Jesus. In John 12, 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Recognized by their closeness to Jesus. So do people recognize you as being someone close to Jesus? Do you reflect the image of Christ? Peter was recognized by his closeness with Christ at a time that he did not want to be recognized. Here Jesus is inside the palace being tried. Peter had already walked away from him, already denied him. He came inside the palace where Jesus was, but he was from Jesus' homeland in Galilee. 
He spoke like one of Jesus' own disciples. Just the way he spoke, he spoke like, like Jesus spoke. In Mark 14, 69, And a maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. The laughter they stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. See, because he had been to Jesus. He had been close to Jesus. They recognized him as someone that had been around Jesus, even when he didn't want to be recognized. Have you been around Jesus? The disciples' responsibility was to serve those with needs. To serve those with needs. Preaching. He gave them power for preaching. It's interesting. The word here means to herald the truth. To herald the truth. You must be born again. Preaching. And power. He gave them power. Spiritual power. This word means authority to heal sickness and cast out devils. It's authority over the unseen powers. They would go to people and serve them spiritually and physically. They were given all they needed to accomplish their mission. How? As servants. And then thirdly, their responsibility was to picture the master servant. We've all been given everything we need to accomplish his mission for our lives as well. We picture the master servant when we serve others well. And then verses 16 through 19 give us the names of those 12. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. He surnamed them Boagenes, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into an house. So the 12 that he called to him, they went into a house. These 12 were all identified. In Mark's gospel, some he gave particular or specific characteristics. Simon Peter. Mark simply mentions that the Lord surnamed him Peter without adding what the other gospels mentioned. There is much evidence. Interesting to me. There's much evidence that Peter was the real inspiration behind the writing of the book of Mark. Many of the early church writers believed that Peter used Mark actually to dictate the book of Mark. I, mean, I don't know. There seems throughout the book to be an effort to keep Peter from being glorified, which tends to support the idea as he wants to remain humble. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, or the sons of thunder. It's interesting, sons of thunder is only mentioned in Mark. No other gospel. In that gospel of servanthood, Jesus said, you are the sons of thunder. What's that mean? Well, what was their ministry? What did they become? They become powerful mouthpieces, fiery brands for God. James would become one of the early martyrs. And John would outlive them all. Used to greatly influence the church by his writings and teachings. Andrew and Philip both had Greek names, though uh, Philip's parents were Jews. Bartholomew was named Nathaniel. Matthew was not here, but elsewhere identified as a publican. 
Thomas, we know as Doubting Thomas. James was called the son of Alphaeus. In Galatians, he's called the brother of our Lord. And Thaddeus, called Lebius in other places, also called Jude, the writer of the epistle that bears his name. Simon the Canaanite, in the place Simon Zelotes. And Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of Jesus. Here's a, an eclectic mix of temperaments and backgrounds. No two are the same, all different, all unique. And each came to Jesus with a full set of past baggage. Every one of them had a whole past of sinful baggage. But every one of them came voluntarily to serve at the master's feet. Each would spend about three years learning how to be a servant. Lastly, what was this life they were going to be exposed to? What was life under the servant or the servant's life? Verse number 20. I think this encapsulates it. And the multitude cometh together again. Remember the zombies at the beginning of the story? <laughs> they came back. <laughs> Brand new multitude. They came back. The multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. Oh, they were hungry, but they couldn't eat. The multitude was so thronging them once again. The word multitude, I looked it up, it means a throng or a press or literally a riot. A riot. After gathering his 12, Jesus and the 12 went into a house. But in the house, a multitude quickly gathered. And like I described last Sunday night, the room in which Jesus and the 12 were quickly filled. The rooms adjacent quickly filled. The doorway soon plugged up with people. And the street outside the door was lined with people trying to get in to Jesus. So packed into that house were they, the disciples couldn't even eat. The people, the multitude, they arrived. They did not call ahead. They did not make reservations. They did not check to see if Jesus were busy. They didn't see if it was a convenient time with Jesus. They simply came and said, we've got a need. Quite frankly, we don't care what you're doing. We've got a need. It doesn't matter if you're hungry. We've got a need. The, the multitude arrived uncaring and unannounced. They showed no concern for the needs of Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples were introduced to their calling. This was going to be their life giving up their own rights, giving up those things they desired to do, giving up things that they really wanted to do, like eat, that they might serve the needs of others. These are the people, this throng, these are the people for whom Christ came. Jesus showed great compassion to all those needing his help. And the disciples slowly, slowly developed a heart for people like Jesus did. Oh, they resented the crowds at first. 
They resented not being able to be real close to Jesus at first because the crowds pushed them away. They resented not being able to have quiet time. They resented not being able to just go and have a meal together at first until they captured Jesus' heart. Most of you know the story. Years ago, I think it was in the 50s, Jim Elliott and a group of other men went to the Alka Indians with a plane trying to reach these head-hunting cannibals. And over much time, they finally decided to land and to make contact, only to be slaughtered and their bodies left there and dismembered. The wife of Jim Elliott, Elizabeth, whom I'm sure many of you have heard of or possibly read her, her, uh, her books, which are so good, um, she and her husband, Jim, for months and months before that time had been praying, praying for these cannibals. God gave them an enormous love for these cannibals. And after she heard that her husband had been killed by these very people for whom she had been praying, instead of her being repulsed, she went to the cannibals. She actually went to the very people that killed her husband because of the enormous love that God had given to her. And she ended up having the privilege of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the very people that killed her husband. You see, God has called us to a nightmare. <laughs> Have you been out there lately? It's the nightmare into which God has called us. It's the world. And our responsibility is to be a light in that dark world. A light filled with what looks like zombies. It looks like sick, infirm, leprous, every disease possible, spiritually. But those are the very people for whom Christ died. And if we who know Christ are not going to love them and try to reach them, who will? Jesus, the master servant. Don't be surprised. It'll take a while. It took his own disciples a while to capture his heart. But don't quit. Seek the very heart of our Lord Jesus Christ to serve others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and thank you for your heart. Thank you for the fact that you are willing to give your very life living and dying on the cross for a people who were so unsightly. Give us that heart, your heart. Help us to be servants like you. Give us a love for the world before it's too late. And we'll thank you for it, for we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.